Yo, Rob Harvilla from 60 Songs That Explain the 90s here to inform you that we are back with 30 more songs because the 90s were super long and had a ton of rad music. Please join us every Wednesday for more 60 Songs That Explain the 90s only on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Hello and welcome to Trial by Content, the podcast where we force our favorite pop culture to compete in the coliseum of contentious opinion so we can all decide what wins. Each week, your three humble hosts will debate a pop culture topic, set the specific rules, and rumble until a consensus is reached. Then, with input from you, the listener base, we'll smash together our nominations with yours and determine a final four-nominee poll that will decide the one true Trial by Content winner. Hello, I'm Dave Gonzalez. Oh, I'm Joanna Robinson. And I'm Neil Miller. (laughs) This week, we boldly go where most Star Trek fans have gone before, wild fan speculation. We're going on an away mission, off the ship, not knowing what we'll find. What characters from all the Trek TV shows and movies would make the best companion, maybe to seek out new life and new civilizations, maybe to help you get out of a sticky situation. This week, we're picking the perfect Star Trek away team. But before we depart, we need to settle last week's trial the best performance by an actor playing themselves. How did we do, Joanna? Oh, how did we do, Dave? Well, I don't know how. How did we, Malkovich, Joanna? <laughs> I don't know how we did. Um, uh, Neil, do you want me to skip your vote count? <laughs> yeah, let's just say it wasn't a good showing for me and the former governor of California. <laughs> I came in third with with my Keanu Reeves uh, pick from Always Be My Maybe with 23% of the vote, only 978 votes. And then it was a real... Squeaka, a real, real photo finish between Dave and our listener. Our listener picked Neil Patrick Harris and Harold and Kumar. Great pick. 33% of the vote, 1,419 votes. But Dave with John Malkovich from being John Malkovich got 1,468 votes, 34% of the votes. Dave, you're our winner. Congratulations. How's it Malkovich high. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I think in one, at least one of the polls I voted for NPH. <laughs> but still came up short. No matter what I did last week, I lost. The reason we are gathered here around the old comms uh, console to talk about Star Trek uh, is because there is a new show launching this week on Paramount Plus, Star Trek colon, Strange New Worlds. Let's have a little listen as to what that might sound like. Lon, you, Spock, and Sam get suited up, and this is the cadet's first away mission. You wanted to learn to speak alien languages where the aliens are. The surface of the comet is bombarded by ridiculously high levels of cosmic rays. This will buy you two hours. Any more, and your insides will turn to liquid. Ow! You could have warned me. Weapon up, people. Kirk, Avera. When you're recovered with me. You ready for this? I'm more than capable of managing any pain you can induce. Mr. Spock. Now you're just toying with me. That was not my intention. I've noticed. All right, if those some of those names sound familiar to you, Kirk, Spock, Ahura, what's going on? 
this is Strange New World Star Trek, uh, a spinoff of sorts from the Star Trek Discovery series on CBS All Access that is now Paramount Plus or a prequel, if you prefer, of the Star Trek, the original series. It stars handsome Anson Mount as uh, Christopher Pike, who's captain of the USS Enterprise. Uh, his science officer is someone you might have heard of, Spock, played by Ethan Peck, who is a uh, grandson of Gregory Peck. Fun fact about him. Uh, and there's a whole whole fun cast of characters here. This is a show that I'm a big fan of already. I've seen a couple episodes. The boys have not seen any episodes, so we're not going to be talking about specifics. The show's not even out yet. It'll be out on the 5th. You'll be able to watch it then for yourself. But we want to talk a little bit about this like era of Star Trek, what's going on in the fandom, what's going on with the new shows, what's are we going to get another movie anytime soon? What what is all happening here? Dave, what's your understanding of why Star Trek Strange New Worlds exists at all? Because Ansem Mount killed it as Pike in season two of Discovery. Not only that, but the reintroduction of a new Spock work. So it's our third Spock in my lifetime, but uh, all Spock seem to be great Spock. Uh, any flavor, any time period. And uh, Rebecca Romaine also as uh, number one, I think was really a standout in her appearances in Discovery. And so the thought was, what if we spin off from Discovery, which is a very particular Star Trek show, in the sense that I think it's very emotions and interpersonal relationship forward and maybe uh, do another spin of Star Trek, but is a bit more focused on the sort of exploration and adventure that the original series was uh, based on. My understanding is there was like fan petitions that number one, Spock and Pike were so popular on Discovery and then Discovery, gentle spoilers for Discovery, did like a leap forward in time such that these those characters could no longer be involved in the storyline. Is that accurate? And so a spinoff is really the only way to go for them? Well, uh, yes and no. As far as we know from the uh, Discovery timeline, and if you are familiar with Star Trek and Captain Pike uh, in general, we still know where Captain Pike's story ends. So Strange New Worlds is going to fill in that gap with some Star Trek adventure, I hope. Neil, what are your thoughts and feelings around... I mean, I know you are a Paramount Plus Star Trek aficionado. What's your what are your feelings around this? Like all these shows that we're getting out of the Paramount Plus stable, and how do you feel about Strange New Worlds coming? Well, I think what I like about it, and a lot of these are from you know Paramount Plus, the the Alex Kurtzman sort of TV Star Trek universe, and um, I really like where they've gotten to. They're, it's there's they're building out a really interesting sort of diverse tree of shows that all seem to most of which seem to come from discovery right not only do we have this one but they're in development on a show for michelle Yeoh's character uh that's all about like section 31 and you know who doesn't want more philippa Giorgio? um but then they've also got stuff like you know um star trek lower decks which was really injected a lot of fun right and i think like Dave mentioned, one of the things I've always liked about Discovery is even though it started with as a little bit more of an adventure show, it has really quickly become a really great edition of let's talk about our feelings as we traverse the universe and solve its problems show. And I like that, but there's always part of me that yearns for a little bit more of the adventure and hijinks. And I get the hijinks from Lower Decks, and now I'm going to get the adventure, hopefully, from Strange New Worlds. And you know, getting to hang out with Handsome Anson is always good news. We love Handsome. His hair is like out of control in this new series. Like you thought the Pike hair was good on Discovery. It is so high and so good, swoopy <laughs> in this new new show. It's incredible. Yeah. Well, and I think the thing that we learned about Anson Mount from his time on Discovery as Christopher Pike is that he's legitimately a very funny actor. He's got this really sort of easy sense of humor and charm that obviously you didn't get from his previous work on like Hell on Wheels, which is a show about nothing that is funny. So it was great to see him sort of get to stretch those legs, you know? Please honor Anson Mount's work in the seminal Britney Spears film Crossroads. Like, please <laughs> put some respect on Crossroads. Name. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, you know, without without getting into too much detail about the new series, I think the fact that they're using the a spin on the original theme, 
he's doing the opening monologue that I think we haven't heard from since next generation, you know, and, and they're really keeping a very like jaunty, um, fast paced, quippy vibe to the whole thing. It feels like a real intentional throwback. I guess my question for you, Dave, when like, if we're offered all these different flavors, the discovery flavor, the lower decks flavor, the, the strange new worlds flavor of star Trek, is there a unifying thing? Like what makes a star Trek property, a star Trek property, if we can have all these different flavors in the pack. Ooh, uh, I don't think so. Thanks to the nature of, uh, you know, like television and its evolution. So you have like the Gene Roddenberry original Star Trek animated series beginning of next generation era of television. And then Roddenberry passed away and sort of passed the baton to Rick Berman, who oversaw the uh, next generation Deep Space Nine Voyager Enterprise series. And then as uh, Neil mentioned, we're sort of in like the Kurtzman uh, post movie reboot era where we're still solidly television shows, but we're a bunch of different television shows. You mentioned that Discovery was originally built for CBS All Access, uh, which had ad supported program when it first launched. So there's still act based storytelling like an old Star Trek for something uh, with Discovery. But that isn't something that's necessary so much. Uh, for certain episodes of Picard or different uh, shows going forward. So I think the Kurtzman that was the fuller reboot has uh, allowed Trek to diversify because a lot of the rules that Gene Roddenberry and Rick Berman eras had about what sort of conflict you could have in between crew members and how much sexuality needed to be forefronted uh, in any given season sort of faded away to become a more generalized action franchise, which I think is interesting. What are the Star Trek sex rules? I don't know these. Oh, there's just uh, lots of rules about <laughs> um, forwarding uh, sex in general and a view of futuristic sex. So whether or not things like Gene Roddenberry wanted to portray a world uh, where there are, is sexual freedom and was uh, always being pestered by different activist groups to maybe put an LGBTQ character uh, on the Enterprise. But because uh, this was like the late 80s, early 90s, his solution was like, well, maybe we could have men hold hands in the background. To something like Discovery Today, uh, which is doing entire gender identity sort of explorations uh, rather than just uh, shouting it out. So I think uh, when Trek has to be a very general morality play, Sometimes those generalities can uh, hurt the overall thing, whereas I think New Trek can get much more detailed in its morals, uh, thanks to serialization and the new way we tell te television storytelling. Neil, did you know that there were Star Trek sex rules? <laughs> no, I don't think I did. But, um, you know, it does. It, it makes a lot of sense. And I think that's one of the things that makes some of the newer stuff great, because there is at a sort of foundational level still gene roddenberry's worldview or his view of what humanity would be in the future right and the lives that that people would live and then i also just think that it's about you know there's something so essential in star trek to making a great ensemble crew right it's all about the crew in my mind like you remember the details of your favorite star trek series crew and all the you know the recurring characters and i think that they've done a really good job of of creating crews that we like you know on discovery that we like enough to follow you know characters as they pass through into other series you know and i think that it's it's a casting thing it's the way these shows are written but the ability to flesh out the entire especially the bridge crews on these shows is you know, what I think be is like a quintessential Star Trek thing, you know? Wow. Sucks to be you in engineering. Um, well, uh, <laughs> I, I, we're always on, no. on the horn to them anyway. I count them <laughs> in engineering. The thing that I've noticed in this newest iteration is when they originally launched, you know, Star Trek Disco, which was so embattled, there were all these different showrunners and it was mm -hmm. just like a, a, a real shaky start, I would say, to that series. But it was a real emphasis on, like, this is a new, we're doing new Star Trek and new characters. And then as, like, as is often the case with IP, they're like, eh, well, oh, what if we do the <laughs> yeah. old characters, you know? But and what if the same someone's thing with related Picard. to Spock? Yeah. <laughs> and then we... <laughs> <laughs> and then and then we got Picard. Picard's like, we're doing something totally new. It, yes, yeah, Jean-Luc is there, but everyone else is new. And then they're like, 
uh, they've announced that season three, the final season of Picard, is just going to be like the entire cast of Next Generation again. Well, what if it's just the old favorite yeah. again? Strange New Worlds sort of falls into that bucket, of course, because you know you've got all these familiar names. Uh, if if the faces are slightly different, but it it is doing something interesting where it's playing with that. It knows it has like a seven year span from when the show starts to when what happens to Captain Pike, Admiral Pike, or whatever Captain Pike in one universe or another happens, right? So they're playing with that. They are aware of it. It is part of the story. And I think that that is a really interesting way to approach a prequel. It's it's more like a Better Call Saul sort of prequel where like everyone knows where this is going. So we're just sort of that tension is sort of sitting on top of it. I almost think of it as like what they had to do with Rogue One, right? You had to, you had this very specific end point that you had to hit. But you kind of fill in whatever happened before that, you know? Stranger Worlds is a really fun um, engagement with, like, the the origin origin of of Star Trek. Dave, do you want to talk about, like, the original Star Trek pilot and what happened and how it relates to the show? Oh, the original Star Trek pilot uh, was shot, was called The Cage, and it involves uh, Captain Christopher Pike. Uh, and he is uh, trapped, uh, I believe it's Talos Four is the name of the planet. It's Talos something. And these uh, super advanced creatures are connecting him, uh, collecting him for a menagerie. I don't think it's Talos Four. That's another part of Captain Pike's history. But uh, <laughs> these, <laughs> these aliens are collecting him for a menagerie, and it's sort of a uh, two-part episode that very much sets out the idea of Star Trek, but... Um, has a lot of elements that CBS ultimately uh, didn't want to carry over into series. Uh, they didn't want to have uh, Pike. They didn't necessarily like a uh, lady first officer as portrayed by number one. And, but they were, they did really like that Spock guy. So they recast uh, a lot of the roles and reshot another pilot. I believe that's called the Corbinite Maneuver uh, that has the Star Trek original series group that you know about and have grown to love, uh, but eventually reused uh, the cage uh, as an episode called The Menagerie, where we got to learn the story from Pike's perspective as he narrates a flashback because he's been in a horrible chemical burn and sits inside a machine where he communicates through a beeping red light. I just think it's really fun that like this is the original scrapped pilot lineup and they're like, do over? Twenty <laughs> years later, sixty years later, sure, why not? Well, see, the interesting thing is, this isn't the first time that Star Trek, as a franchise, has stumbled across this. The show Star Trek Enterprise was originally just called Enterprise, and the whole idea behind pitching it was like, let's get away from this Star Trek. Let's go back to the beginning. Let's have people wear tennis shoes. You know, let's figure out like how we learn some of these Federation rules or whatever. And by season three of that show, they're like, oh, my God, the ratings are horrible. Let's change it to Star Trek Enterprise. Let's, like, get the Andorians in here. Let's start having some cameos. And it got to the point where in their final episode, you know, it's basically a Riker episode for some reason. So Star Trek keeps trying to get away from its history, but uh, reaps great rewards when it uh, goes back and does like a thoughtful examination of itself. Oh, one last uh, fun fact about Strange New Worlds before we get into like zeroing in closer on our away mission topic today. So Jean Ronberry's wife, is it Majelle Barrett? Is that how you pronounce it? Her name? I, I believe so. Okay. So she was the original number one, right? In this scrapped pilot. Yes. CBS is like, we don't want her. Get her out of here. We don't like her. So then he tried to sneak her back in. As this other character, Christine Chapel, and they had her dire hair blonde that like CBS would not notice. And they're like, oh, ho, ho, look who's back again. Like, did not work. Turns out if you dye your hair, CBS will notice you. But they let her stay. And so Nurse Christine Chapel is like a character that exists in the original series. Barrett herself never really seemed to like the character, et cetera. And then she went on, of course, to play Deanna Troy's mother in Next Generation, one of the greatest Star Trek characters of all time. Um, but both Christine Chapel and number one are characters in this new show. So I just love that they took like both of her characters and put them on this new show, obviously played by different actresses. But um, yeah, it's a great lineup. I'm really excited for people to watch it. The other thing that we want to talk about um, before we get into our debate is just this concept of the away mission, the away team. 
and and what we like about those episodes and and any of those uh, episodes that are stand out to us. So, Dave, do you want to start with your favorite away team episodes? Yeah, my my picks I think are a little bit uh, off the beaten path because they're they're very specific in that I uh, remember them and I remember their specifically their away missions. Uh, more than anything else. Maybe they're not the best episodes, but they're my favorite away team missions. Here we go. The Next Generation, The Enemy, is where uh, Jordy's on a planet with a Romulan, and the planet has a really inhospitable environment, and it's causing the Romulan's nervous system to shut down, so he's having trouble walking, and it cuts Jordy off from being able to use his visor, and they need to find this particle beacon that Wesley sent down to the planet so they get beamed back up, and won't you know, don't you know it? They have to uh, become friends and find the commonality between their two species to work together as one body with a visor. It's pretty awesome. The original series, Devil in the Dark, this is the Horta episode where they go down to a mining colony because some people are being killed by a mysterious monster at this mining colony. But it turns out this lava monster is one of the last of its species. It's just protecting its egg. Spock mind melds with it. It is definitely a creature that is created out of like foam in the 60s. It is ridiculous looking. It uses acid to carve kill not I into the wall once it reads Spock's mind because it learns a little bit of English. Very hilarious episode and definitely a creature that I always remember when I think about original Star Trek. Finally, Voyager, blink of an eye. There's a planet. It's spinning super fast, so time moves very fast. Voyager gets caught in it. They send the doctor down to uh, for three seconds, which is supposed to be like three days, to um, do some recon and instead, they leave him down there for like a minute, and he ends up being down there for like three years. And we learn in an aside uh, towards the end of the episode, had a child despite being in hologram, and he just says it's a long story. Uh, but also that one, for you Lost fans, big Daniel Day Kim episode. True. I almost picked that one, but I decided to go with like a theme for my away missions, which is like, nice. there's, one, there's one kind of away mission, which is like, you're on a different planet. But what if you were... Somewhere else in time. So this is a, this is a favored Star Trek tried and true recipe. Uh, we've got the original series, The City on the Edge of Forever, which is 1930s uh, Depression era New York. So we get the you know you get to see the cast out of their costumes when they had to get to put on these like other costumes. I always love the time travel episodes. Uh, DS9 Past Tense Part One and Two. Uh, is also a really fun one. Voyager's Futures End Part 1 and 2. That's when they go to like the 90s. And it's just like a 90s action movie. Guest starring Sarah Silverman. <laughs> um, and then uh, the best one, of course, is Next Generation's Times Arrow Parts 1 and 2. That was a season finale and a season premiere. Mark Twain is involved. It's fantastic. <laughs> so Away Mission in Time is sort of the theme that I went for. Neil, what about you? Well, I, this is not going to surprise anyone, but I like the big ones, big action, <laughs> and I like some of the weird ones. Yeah, you pick some weirdies. I love them. Yeah. So my big one is the best of both worlds, parts one and two from the next generation. It's the big, we got to go get, you know, bring back Picard from the Borg. It includes, uh, I believe, numerous away missions and, you know, just love the TNG crew and love Borg stuff. I'm really into Borg stuff now. That's I'm staking out my car. <laughs> I'm into board things now. <laughs> I'm into board things now. It has nothing to do with any Not of just the phase, mom. <laughs> <laughs> I really like the board, okay? Yeah. Uh, from the original series, Amok Time, which is one where we go back to Vulcan to learn why Spock is horny and learn <laughs> all about the Vulcan sex drive and how they're kind of like birds where they have to like go back to Vulcan and mate. And I think he ends up fighting and killing Kirk in that one, right? That's the one where he fake, fake, fake kills Kirk. Dun, 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 dun. Like a, a real American Gladiators uh, vibes going on. Yeah, yeah. And then I thought I should mention something from one of the newer shows that I love, Lower Decks, which opens season two with an episode where the Lower Decks crew go to this planet and they're just like cleaning and they uncover this uh, sacred. I guess it's sort of like a, a gem at the top of a tower that turns first officer Ransom, who's voiced by Jerry O'Connell uh, excellently throughout the entire series, into a godlike floating head creature that they have to figure out how to calm down. 
And because it's lower decks, it's it also involves some mother daughter therapy between the main protagonist and her mother, the captain of the ship. And uh, it's it's just a really ridiculous episode that I think shows off some of the the silliness and the hijinks that lower decks can achieve. There's something I love more than a couple that enters an IP together. So shout out to Jerry O'Connell and Rebecca Romain for uh, both boldly going. Surprised no one chose them as the team, not to spoil anything. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, well, for giving us the gift of uh, the phrase horny Spock, uh, Neil, I would like to hand the mic over to you for the rules rundown this week. Absolutely. Let's do some rules. Let's do some awards. Let's get this whole trial started. Uh, of course, this week we are debating the perfect Star Trek away team. The rules are simple. It can be any crew character. So that this is a non-captain character from any iteration of Star Trek. Uh, you need two of them to comprise your away team. And uh, what kind of mission you're going on, is uh, that's a whole part of the discussion. But before we get to those, let's talk about some awards that we're going to give away. First, a category crown. This is a shout out to... The list of away team all-stars who went on to become captains, we saw them get promoted. So they are eligible, I guess, uh, in some of their iterations to be on our away teams, but they may not get mentioned because we mostly think of them as captains. And I'm, here's the list. We have Catherine Janeway, of course, who was a science officer on the USS Al-Batani and became captain of the Voyager, very famously. Speaking of Star Trek Discovery, we got a couple of them. We got Michael Burnham, who was the first officer on the USS Shenzhou, and then she became captain of Discovery with some crimes in between there. Just a, little, a few little war life, crimes. Life, lifelong prison sentence in between those two jobs. Uh, we also have Mr. Saru, who uh, was first officer and became captain of Discovery. We've got Hikaru Sulu who went from helming the Enterprise to later captaining a ship called the USS Excelsior. And of course, we've got Benjamin Sisko, one of the great captains who we watched become captain of Deep Space Nine. And we would be absolutely remiss if we did not mention William T. Riker, who went from being first officer for Picard's several enterprises to being captain of the world-class USS Titan. I'm going to reserve so my uh, Riker feelings. That will become clear later. <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, we're also giving a special award for outstanding and outlandish leadership in the field, and his this character's ability to lead away teams into increasingly ridiculous situations throughout his entire career. That is the captain of the USS Enterprise in the original series, James Tiberius Kirk. Excellent job. Many a red shirt died. Because of you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> which brings us to our category clown, which uh, I'm sad to report is the original series Red Shirts. And we have a clip for this one. Red shirt. Huh? Red shirt. You ever watch Star Trek? <sighs> Not really. The crew guys? Now we go down to the planet with the main guys, the captain and the guy with the pointy ears. They always wore red shirts. And they always got killed. Yeah? Yeah. Sounds like a piss poor captain. That was Boone and Locke <laughs> from Lost. Is that an ironic conversation? You'll yeah. have to watch Lost to find out. <laughs> <laughs> I love it feels like a little family reunion. I didn't know that was coming. That was great. I know. It was a little Lost um, surprise for you guys. Dave's wearing a Lost shirt as we record this <laughs> podcast. So I had to put a little boon and lock in the in the mix there. That's great. And yes, the original red shirts are our category clown this week because of their influence on popular culture overall. The concept of the red shirt has so permeated that characters on a magical island in the South Pacific can be having a conversation about it in 2004. Uh, so red shirts, very sorry about your luck. Uh, we also have a list of pre-trial dismissals, as we do every week. This is a list of contenders that you will not hear mentioned in this debate. And we've broken them into categories because we wanted to go do a little department by department rundown here. Uh, we'll start with the Ensigns. We're not going to hear anything from Wesley Crusher from The Next Generation or Pavel Chekhov from TOS or the various movie iterations. Uh, sadly, nothing from Sylvia Tilly, who is one of the great Ensigns of Discovery and uh, one of one of that shows just beating heart of that show at times. 
We're also not going to be talking about Harry Kim from Voyager. Sorry. Harry oh, Kim. Harry Kim. Always the bridesmaid, never the bride. Sure. Except in Timeless. <laughs> Apparently, we don't need expert pilots because we're leaving several Helms people off of the list, including Kayla Detmer from Discovery, who is one of the most badass pilots since uh, Sulu himself. And of course, Tom Paris from Voyager, because no one really wants Tom Paris around, apparently. <laughs> so <laughs> he's not here. Uh, we're not going to hear from communications officer of Enterprise, Hoshi Sato, very, very popular. Uh, and then from engineering, uh, we've already disrespected engineering enough, I think. Uh, but these four are not going to be mentioned in our debate. We've got Montgomery Scott, Scotty from uh, original series and the J.J. Abrams averse. I'm sorry, the Kelvin timeline is the respectful way to say that. We're not going to talk about Miles O'Brien from TNG and Deep Space Nine. Sorry, Chief O'Brien. Uh, sadly, no Jordy LaForge, which is really going to bring down our coolness quotient and probably our uh, reading scores. And so no Jordy <laughs> from TNG and no Paul Stamets from Discovery, who is a, a fantastic engineer and at times literally what makes the ship fly through time and space. Uh, and then no science officer, uh, none of these two science officers, Paul from Enterprise, very popular, and Jadzia Dax from DS9, who is a very popular person for one of my away team picks. So Mine too, to be honest. <laughs> sadly, did not make any of the teams. And of course, we're leaving off several very famous medical officers, including Dr. Beverly Crusher from TNG and Leonard Bones McCoy from the original series and movies. And of course, perhaps one of the most famous medical officers of all time from Voyager, the emergency medical hologram. Sadly, no one wanted. We had a good listener submission for that one. Ultimately, not, not a chosen one, but very close. So there we have it. Those are folks that we're not going to talk about. So that means it's time to get into the debate. And I would like to wish you all good luck and don't get killed. You're not going to die on the planet, guy. I'm not? What's my last name? It's, uh, um, uh, I don't know. Nobody knows. Do you know why? Because my character isn't important enough for a last name. Because I'm going to die. Gotta love it. Oh, gotta love some Galaxy Quest. For opening remarks, each host is going to have one minute to give an initial pitch for their choice. And then final arguments will go in reverse. I get to start this week because I won last week. Let's go. All right, here we go. There's obviously a lot to consider when choosing a limited away team for an unknown mission. And for my perfect away team, I'm picking two generalists who can adapt to a number of different situations. Spot number one goes to seven of nine of tertiary adjunct of Unimatrix 01 from Star Trek Voyager. Not only did Seven of Nine regain key aspects of her humanity during her time on Voyager, the character adapted to the Starfleet crew and countless Delta Quadrant quandaries with her unique board perspective that allows her to think about individuals and the whole in a different way. Spot number two goes to Commander William Riker from Star Trek The Next Generation. Riker is a jack-of-all-trades, master of none, because when Geordi was spending another day studying the hyperdrive, Riker was sharpening his poker game on the holodeck and or practicing some sort of alien sport. Riker can take the lead in combat or cultural situations, but won't seize control of the overall mission and remains loyal to orders. That's why I'm taking Riker and Seven of Nine, following me down to the planet on my away mission. I feel like you nagged your own choice there. All right, I, <laughs> <laughs> on my away team, um, I felt like it was imperative to have a medical officer on my away team, just in case things get really dicey. So I'm, of course, going with my fave, Dr. Julian Bashir from D-Space Nine. is played by Alexander Siddig, a genetically enhanced individual who has a high IQ and enhanced reflexes and skills, uh, you know, all over the place. So not only a medical officer, but an enhanced one. Slot number two goes to the lovely Ahura. And I'm I'm. Pretty sanguine about which actress we pick here, but I'm going to go with Zoe Saldana's Ahura. So the Ahura from the Kelvinverse films, um, because she's just a little fightier than the Ahura that we have seen elsewhere. And uh, she's a xenolinguist, which means she knows all kinds of languages and uh, often emphasizes diplomacy 
over fighting, though she can hold her own in a fight. So we've got our wounds taken care of. We've got diplomacy taken care of. I will be covered in fight on my away mission. All right. For my away team, it's everyone else who's going to need a medical officer. (laughs) (laughs) My first choice is Worf, son of Mog. Unless you're trying to make first contact with some grumpy Romulans, Worf is perfect for any situation. He's calm and measured. He's diligent and thorough. He's a badass warrior. He has a ton of lived experiences and is often a surprising source of fun and or useful facts. I love a fun fact guy. He's an underrated strategist. In fact, most of TNG is just Picard and Riker spending a lot of time not using his ideas. I would not treat Worf like that. He's useful because he is always thinking through every possibility. Also, he wears a Klingon warrior sash over his Starfleet uniform, a special thing that they allowed him to do. And I think he's a 24th century fashion legend. So (laughs) that is an important thing to me. My second pick, my other uh, half of my team is Beckett Mariner from the show Star Trek Lower Decks, voiced by Tony Newsom. You know, she's a rogue operator, sure, but she really loves hanging out with badass Klingon Klingon warriors, so she's going to love hanging out with Worf. So at the very least, we don't have to worry about her abandoning us. So long as we can keep her focused, she's a great warrior, she's extremely resourceful, she has a chip on her shoulder, and a persistent, persistent desire to be a hero. And here's the bonus. If I'm feeling lazy that day, she'd probably be more than happy to take over the mission and do the most dangerous stuff. It's called delegating. It's why I'm great as a captain. <laughs> All right. Got the like last minute pin for delegation in there. Sure, I yeah. like <laughs> This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So I guess before we make ourselves in the away mission, uh, the X factor in in this debate, I don't know if I was nagging Riker, Joanna. (laughs) Master of none? Sharpening his poker skills? How is is poker going to help you in an away mission? See, the weird thing is I was watching some of my favorite uh, Riker away missions uh, to, to back this up. And his his be- best skill is a coolness under pressure. He's not the, you know, human uh, hydraulic pistons that could lift rocks off you that Data is. And he's not the uh, necessarily empathetic person that Troy would be. But he always manages to keep the, the chain of command and keep his cool, even if he doesn't have the specific skill for the specific situation. For instance, one of my favorite episodes... First Contact, which I hear is a popular episode, but I mostly remember it as the one where uh, Riker has sex to get out of the hospital uh, with uh, Baby Newman, I believe, guest star Baby Newman, um, uh, who uh, he's in a, Riker's been trapped on a planet, he's been horribly injured, and the doctors have been scanning him, and they're like, all the organs are in the wrong place, but he has to stay there and uh, keep himself undercover and come up with ridiculous lies about basically being a genetic mutant and eventually sleep with a nurse to get out of that horrible situation. And it's just Riker improvising like jazz, which Riker understands deeply. 
listen, I the last thing I want to do is be in a position where I am trying to bring down Riker. It seems like you had Riker opinions you were saving for later, so maybe that later is now. It, no, I, I like I, I uh, it will only hurt my cause to tell you how I truly feel about Riker. I just thought it was interesting that you yourself, in your own opening arguments, were like, well, master of none. But isn't, okay, all right, point of order. Isn't that original quote a supportive of the Jack? It's a, it's a compliment to the Jack of all trades. Jack of no, all trades. No, it's not. Master of none, but it's better than being a master of one. Or is that not the right original quote? I don't think so. I'm going to look up the quote. I like to think that it's not that net being a master of none and a jack of all trades is potentially better. I know this is helping Dave's choice here of Riker, but that's that is one of the things I like about Riker. Okay, <laughs> oftentimes, sort of of oftentimes better than a master of none. Yes, of one is how that phrase ends. I just still think I still think that. He knows poker is not the way I would. If I had <laughs> had the joy of having Riker on my team, that's not how I would have gone. There's, there's in some of Neil's favorite episodes, Best of Both Worlds, is this whole side plot about Riker should be ascending to the captaincy and he's just not because he's fine where he is. I don't necessarily want, you know, a climber or like a specific expert in my number one position. That's why I picked him as part of the generalist crowd. Speaking of, Dr. Julian Bashir graduated a salutorian of his class. He could have gone anywhere, any of the poshest positions in the world. And he picked the rough and tumble location of the Deep Space Nine station because he wanted to practice frontier medicine. This is a this is a medical officer who is not afraid to get down and dirty on an away mission. And that's I mean, talk about, you know seeding power for the virtue of getting the job done that's dr julian Bashir for you right there i am fair fair enough <laughs> what a, what a great debate answer <laughs> when it comes to his area of expertise i guess dr julian Bashir, there's none other but i actually think this works for wharf as well one of the things i like about wharf is that he's He's constantly surprising us with the things he knows, like just the things Worf has retained in his life. And it's similar to Riker in that way, is that like if you have someone on your mission with you who is just constantly thinking a little bit outside the box or has little bits of knowledge on all kinds of different things, it allows you to, to deal with a more diverse set of missions. Right. That's why you need a xenolinguist. No, I mean... What's I mean, really sure. <laughs> like Ahura? What's really interesting? I so I almost my second uh, member of my team was almost Christine Chapel from the new series, but I didn't think it was really fair to put a new a new series member uh, on a team that you guys couldn't like really argue against because you haven't seen the show. But what's really cool about Christine Chapel, uh, you heard it a little bit in this clip, is that she and I don't think this is really something I remember seeing a ton in other Star Trek shows, but you guys will have to correct me if I'm wrong. She is constantly giving them ways to navigate the away mission space with more subtlety, like uh, disguises and adaptive genetic, uh, you know, booster shots, etc. And I just think that's a real like I think a classic uh, successful away mission. You make no riffles. That's the prime directive, right? You're not trying to like you know, dust things up or whatever. So you want you want to get in and get out. You want to use diplomacy. You want to just everything to be calm and cool and collected. That's what my team is about. They are super smart. They value diplomacy. If the shit hits a fan, though, they can both fight. So well, and this this brings up an interesting question. I don't know that that's true of Worf diplomacy wise. Well, I mean, that's fair. In some some instances, Worf, again, like I mentioned, maybe not the best for diplomacy, neither is my other choice, Beckett Mariner. But this comes back to the question of like, what kind of captain are you? And how do they best, like for me, if I were a Starfleet captain, I would be obviously very chill. I would be like a Riker who smoked a lot more futuristic weed, like very <laughs> chill and always into jazz. So I would need people who are like go-getters and people who are constantly seeking solutions and obviously brave warriors, because I'm not fighting anybody, let's be honest. And I think I would be on a ship like this. Is, this is probably going to show off how I'm mostly a fan of Lower Decks above a lot of other Star Trek stuff. But I love the idea of being like a second contact ship or like the ship that shows up much later to the party. And uh, even though those jobs are not easy, um, you know, I, I just be a little bit more chill. 
That said, I also have this thing about me where if I were a Starfleet captain, I'm entirely sure that I would accidentally stumble into the most dangerous possible situations. Like it would be the thing that looks chill and fun, and we're just going to collect some biological samples. And then all of a sudden, you're in the middle of uh, some sort of local civil war, and you have to figure it out. <laughs> and your, Vulc- your Vulcan's horny again. And you're yeah, like, what am I going to do? Your Vulcan left because he's got to go do his horny stuff across the universe. It's wild. I love Mariner and Worf, but Neil, the situation you described, I think, is most dangerous for you. Always. <laughs> you have two personalities that I feel like, given a certain thing, like if you're stranded on that planet for like months or like the Voyager's like year of hell, Beckett Mariner's taken over your command position. That's just going to happen through like force. And I'm just, I'm not saying that that is going to be a huge problem for me. <laughs> I love that. He, I love that Dave's number one concern is mutiny, like always <laughs> mutiny all the time. You're not thinking about how to fight or interact with the people you're going with. You're just like, as long as no one's fighting me in my own team, that's what I care the most about. Yeah, because I'm the one who's, I'm the captain. I'm responsible for the prime directive. And like, who watches the Watchers? Troy and Riker have to go in disguise down to like save a research station. But the person who gets the blame is all Picard. And they're like, Picard, why did you show yourself as a god to these people? I just think it's like, there's a lot of away team stuff that's cleaning up your mistakes. And I think Joanna and I have some good picks. Neil. When you pick a like a anti-authoritarian and a Klingon, what you have is like when you're stuck in between a rock and a hard place, <laughs> they're either gonna want to die in battle or take command from you. I'm just saying it seems a little dangerous to me. My theory of this case is that it shouldn't be boring. Yeah. There uh, no one's touching Neil for sure. You want a really fun mission with a lot yes. of fighting. Okay. Yes. I'm expecting a mission where it all goes wrong and we have to fight our way out and we have drinks at the end of it, you know. And we're telling great war stories. I like I like all that. That's very Game of Thronesy on Star Trek. I have a question. Yeah. Didn't Seven of Nine have like a identity crisis? Um, a couple on Voyager. Of times. Yeah, like personality. Like if you're not if you're not wanting mutiny, why are you bringing someone who has like a Borg past and and all kinds of erratic behaviors in her? Mm, just because she's the character who's struggling with her humanity as like a type on Star Trek, I don't think she's necessarily as dangerous as that. Sure, if you know there's some sort of weird Borg resurgence. And I think if we're going to be technical, I have to take Voyager 7 of 9 because she isn't part of the uh, Federation after that. And I don't think I could take Rangers on my away team. But if I could take the, you know, more developed human 7 of 9, I would. I like there's... The the same uh mine my thing like I said is sort of picking generalists like um, mine isn't going to be the best fighting forward team it isn't going to be the best technology forward team but it's going to be able to handle those situations I think if it's thrown on them whereas like you know if I pick Jordy LaForge and I show up on a planet whose elections are decided through tango dance competitions I picked the wrong away team m- member you know. But I think Riker and Seven would be able to figure that out. I love that you're like, again, you're like, um, my team isn't great, but, <laughs> but they're good. Yes, generalists. Um, I think that's better than experts. And this this may be colored by the fact that I've really been enjoying Seven of Nine on Picard in uh, in her later in Jerry life Ryan. adventures. Shout out Jerry yeah. Ryan. Keep cashing love those checks. Queen. Yeah. One of the things that Seven of Nine gives you is a very, you know, sort of unique perspective right because what is further outside the federation's worldview than the borg right it's one of the all-time antagonists of the federation so to have a little bit of that to have it you know as long as she doesn't lose herself to her borg parts um i think that that's very valuable you know it's why it's what it's one of the things that makes Worf valuable as a klingon in starfleet you know he he has a unique perspective on every mission (laughs) You know what makes Uhura valuable? Do you remember in Star Trek Into Darkness when she goes to negotiate with I, d- I don't remember anything. The Klingon. <laughs> she's like speaking fluent Klingon. She's like, like, you know, Kirk's like, let's go punch them. And she's like, how about we try diplomacy? And she goes out, she has this exchange with them. Doesn't go perfectly, right? Not going well. Sure. And then she literally stabs a Klingon in the dick. That's like she tries first. She tries diplomacy and then she stabs him in the in the Klingon dick. I just what a what a queen. <laughs> She's decisive. 
So what you're saying is you need people that are extremely skilled in their area and also very decisive. That's that's an important She's thing. She's got it all. Team. I mean, that's that's another thing I like about Beckett Mariner. Very decisive. And, you know, me as a captain, I'm letting people be who they are, which I think that both of my picks would would really appreciate uh, given the the previous leadership they've experienced. Worf would have no idea what to do with you as a captain. He'd be like, well, what do I do? I'd be like, whatever you want. What? What? <laughs> yeah, Worf would be like, uh, Captain, I don't understand why you keep saying yes to me. <laughs> so. <laughs> captain Miller keeps taking Worf's ideas. It is blowing Worf's mind. I don't know, man. I just want to see how it would work. All right. Should we hear from some listeners? So let's hear from our listeners. All right. I will go first. I picked listener Ian, who wrote in and said, Odo from Deep Space Nine and Emperor Philippa Giorgio, mother of the fatherland, overlord of Vulcan, Dominus of Kronos, Regina Andor, Philippa Giorgio, Augustus Laponis Centaurus. That's her full title. Uh, Odo, shapeshifter, mostly immortal, basically Columbo meets Plastic Man, useful in combat, subterfuge, exploration, etc. Philippa Giorgio, specifically Emperor Giorgio from the Mirror Universe, could kill basically anything. Also is Michelle Yeoh. That's the sum total of the argument, and that's all you need. I think also is Michelle Yeoh is such a good argument, like no matter what you're saying. It really sort of obscures the fact that that character is a straight up fascist. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Picking a fascist, bold choice. And also Odo not against fascism because he's a very black and white lawman. So you might have to be worried about starting your own mirror universe with that crew. <laughs> yeah. I, I love Odo. I I really wanted to pick Odo, but we got a bunch of listener submissions for Odo. Again, shout out, shout out to uh Rene Aubergenois, I believe is how you pronounce that actor's name. I love him so much. He's a musical theater actor. He sang Les Poissons in The Little Mermaid and is also Odo. Like, come on. The guy's yeah. done, the guy, that guy's career. Come on, Legendary okay. body of work. Uh, all right. I guess I'm next. My pick comes to us from Jeff. Jeff has taken two huge ones, Data and Spock. Yikes. Yeah. Spock, because he can mind meld with an alien if need be to get information and Data, because he can go into areas that organic crew members can't. Plus, being an android, he can have all the information downloaded into him, and he could be a doctor or an engineer, et cetera, et cetera. And he's super strong. As a Trekkie, this is a super hard question that I will probably send more than one response to dot, dot, dot from Jeff. Uh, yeah, Data and Spock. This is, this is a very malleable crew, right? Like, obviously, Data is a very, very useful person to have around. Um, asked a lot of questions for my taste, but, you know, he's, he's good. He's good at his job. Spock also throughout the years has been very useful. Uh, the only thing I have against, and I know I'm not supposed to have things against my own listener pick, is would this be the most boring possible conversation on the way down to the planet if you had to take like a shuttle? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, it's also <laughs> not perfect if you're, as we've seen from, let's say, Times Arrow or The Voyage Home. This is not your going into the past away team. This is a very awkward. Sure. If you if you are going to end up on Earth in the twentieth or the twenty first century, this is not the group that you want with you. Sure, but again, it's really tough to beat this team, though. Just just yeah. a just huge iconic Star Trek Mount Rushmoreian names from Data and Spock. I think that um, we sort of made a little rule for ourselves that we weren't going to pick Data because it's a really hard one to overcome. All right. But one of my favorites is here from our listener, Steve. Steve said, my number one pick would be Saru. He's got the brains and the brawn and can see and hear a much broader spectrum than most other races. Citation needed. Scientist, captain, first contact specialist, linguist. He lived in a pre-warp society integrated into Starfleet amazingly, not to mention adapting to a different millennium. Saru has it all. Well, maybe he doesn't have the greatest emotional intelligence. So to pick up the slack, we're bringing in Deanna Troy, the half betazoid empathic abilities and counseling skills round out the team, a truly dynamic team that covers all the bases. I love that that Steve is thinking of like the puzzle pieces that lock together. together. Yeah, Yeah. yeah. it's really smart. That's and it's a smart combination because Mr. Saru is is great and also very tall, which I think would be very useful in a lot of. situations and he's got all the charm of doug jones which is all the charm so bendy yeah <laughs> so bendy. um but that's true you know as a kelpian uh they have uh they're not quite as good at uh detecting sort of human emotional 
stuff. Um, although uh, Mr. Saru, very useful in many, many other ways. And then, yeah, I mean, why wouldn't you have Deanna Troy around? She's fun. If, I, if I'm being really real with you guys, my real, my real dream away team, <laughs> I mean, my team is perfect, but if I were to pick anyone else, it would be Riker and Troy because I would just want like my space mom and dad with me on my trip. <laughs> I love Riker and Troy so Am much. Am I doing a good job, guys? <laughs> yes. Space mom, space dad, do you approve? Am I a good captain? Are we making pizza later? Did I earn the pizza? <laughs> oh my God. Which potentially not great as their you being their boss relationship. Um, maybe that would just be really supportive of me. <laughs> their golden child. I think with our listeners, we have three good away teams for three very different missions. Sure. If we're sending in Odo and Emperor Philippa Giorgio, you're looking like to taking over a planet, right? You're, you're looking to colonize something. something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's like that's that's a force of will. That's a that's a small conquering party. Would you like to crush your enemies and see them run before yeah, you? I feel like this runs contrary to what Starfleet is all about. <laughs> But it would fit into a lot of other universes, including our own reality. Also, this this even more so uh, than I think Neil's picks. This is a one where you're probably not the captain, even if that's your title, if you're on this away mission as this third. Oh, I would not want to be the boss. Uh, uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, I know that I tease you for your mutiny concerns, but like this is the team to have your eye on. <laughs> right. <laughs> You just turn around and Odo looks like you and you're like, ah, shit. And then the, the knife comes from the other side. Even worse, this is the type of team that would go and turn a system into like a fascist system and make you like the figurehead puppet of their operation. Oh, yeah. So you would get all the blame for all this terrible stuff and still not have any fun. Why am I the admiral? No. <laughs> yeah, so that's, that's, that's a tough one. Uh, Data and Spock... Is sort of like the yin yang uh, side to Saru and Deanna Troy, I think, where it's like one is so information processy and the other one is so empathetic. Empathetic, does it um, not cross over in that way? Like, do you want to have Saru and Deanna Troy processing your tricorder readings, uh, or do you want Data and Spock on that uh, Tango planet I was describing earlier? I just, I feel like Data and Spock, like if I were building my team, Data and Spock would occupy the same slot for me. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like, highly, would you like highly logical or highly logical? Like, that's, that's the question. <laughs> <laughs> Data and Spock. Well, and see, but the variable you're not uh, considering here is me, the captain, highly illogical. <laughs> oh. So <to> balance out. <laughs> <laughs> Why have you surrounded yourself with Berserker? I don't know. I'm looking to have adventures. I'm excited about strange new worlds. Let's go do some shit in the universe. Oh my god. Um, I don't know. What are we what are we eliminating here? My one thing that I could maybe stretch to uh push to eliminate data and Spock is there have been some times on Next Generation where uh data not leaving the ship is the reason the ship doesn't explode or the reason the crew is allowed to get back or the reason something's to be fixed. Because unlike any of the other these characters, Data can run the entire ship uh, by himself. It's true. Like, we we made a thing where we weren't taking captains because we are the captain now, right? Okay, so no captains. But also there were some other types that I didn't like. I didn't want anyone from engineering. I love engineering. I'm not saying knocking engineering. <laughs> but I want... O'Brien to pick me up wherever I am. Like that's I almost picked right, O'Brien because I really to love beam him. You back from wherever you are, you yeah. know. And I was like, I was thinking about Scotty, like because Scotty on the original series, not. My, but I was thinking about Simon Pegg Scotty for a little bit. I was considering it, and I was like, he does some adventurous stuff, but he's more helpful if he's picking you up when things go awry. True. If he can have time in his workshop, he can usually solve your problems from afar. I think Spock has a similar thing to Data. I mean, we talked earlier in the podcast about Kirk's uh, just flamboyant need to be on every away team uh, at all times. So, you know, you get a little bit of that for Spock. He He's sort of the one that keeps things together while Kirk goes off and has ridiculous adventures. But then again, Spock is very useful in the field. 
I would say much more than even data. I, I honestly think also if we eliminate Dan and Spock, we'll once we'll once again be accused of eliminating a power team to, uh, <laughs> to improve our own chances in the poll. That's true. I think I could easily talk myself into um, <laughs> our producer Carlos is uh, waiting. <laughs> he agrees with us. <laughs> I mean, I I think I could most easily talk myself into eliminating Dave's uh, choice. I, much love to Odo and to Michelle Yeoh, but I don't know if we can have this kind of fascism spreading across the galaxy. <laughs> <laughs> that the whole point of that section of Discovery is that she was bad. <laughs> so, uh, trial by content is coming out firmly uh, against fascism. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hundred uh-huh. percent. Okay. All right. Yeah, we've solved whether or not it's okay to kill children in a previous episode, and now fascism. <laughs> Listen, um, how do we feel about? Saru and Troy. I like that one. I really like it because it goes like extreme empathy, which none of us did. But if we don't pick Data and Spock and we call ourselves the Star Trek podcast, I think you're right. I think we're in trouble. I know. I have to say, like, Saru and Troy, I mean, again, the only reason I don't have Troy is because Steve picked her first before me. Sir and Troy have my heart, but I think we have to go Data and Spock. This is the part of the episode where we have to sign our own death warrants. Yeah. <laughs> and hope that our away team gets us out of it. <laughs> we all picked fun, spicy away teams and also Data and Spock. Yeah. You're right. That's the most fucking boring away team I could possibly think of. But you'll probably live. I like having Data and Spock in the poll because if you wanted to, if you're a Star Trek fan that that wanted to go against Data and Spock, there are some clear arguments against them, right? You know, if you get into a cis- situation where it's, you know, a, a real emotional vibe piece, you might have a little trouble with those guys helping you out. That's that's when you need to come through, like channel your inner Kirkness. Kirk, who is nothing but vibes, pure vibes all the time. James C. Kirk. For me personally, I don't want to have to make those kinds of decisions. <laughs> I need people to help me make those decisions. I don't know if Data and Spock would get the job done for me, but you know, in a lot of other situations, they're great. Well, we're going to see what they are up against uh, our picks because Jeff's Data and Spock is going to be our listener pick, which is joining the other three. And here come the final statements from us. Going first, this week, as we go in reverse order, is Neil. All right. The question you have to ask yourself is what kind of away mission do you really want? Do you want one where you solve all the world's problems and things are great and it's just this, you know, uh, amazing journey of extreme (laughs) competence? Or do you want to have a party? (laughs) If you would like to have a party and go get some fights and drink, some amazing liquors from around the galaxy. Come with me. Come with Beckett Mariner. Come with Worf. And we are going to have a great time. I hesitate to say this in front of Dave's argument because he could probably try to outclass me here. But the thing we haven't talked about yet is the hotness factor. And my question is, do you want to have a hot time on your away mission? If so, I recommend. Dr. Julian Bashir and Uhura, like, dazzling. If you want to dazzle civilizations with your blinding good looks and brains, my team is clearly the, the front runner here. So that might be an HR violation for me, their captain, to say, but, uh, you know, <laughs> take it up with Starfleet. Well, I mean, I wasn't going to talk about either of those points, but here we are. I feel like my away team has the capability of being super fun just because... They're both super hot and one doesn't even know it because she was once part of a gigantic hive mind. And the other one is, you know, very, very uh, willing to clown if it helps uh, the mission. Again, what I'm looking for is generalists who can adapt to a lot of situations and seem to do it while keeping some sort of command structure. I think those are important things in Star Trek Away missions. I guess you get to decide when you vote for me in this week's poll. That's it. We are... Putting these away teams up against each other. We're just going to name the Star Trek characters, but Dave is picking Riker and Seven of Nine. Joanna is picking Dr. Julian Bashir and Nyota Uhura. 
And Neil's picking Beckett, Mirror, and Worf from Star Trek Next Generation and Lower Decks, respectively. Meanwhile, Jeff, our listener, is throwing in Data from Next Generation and Spock from the original series. And that is our poll. You could find our poll for the perfect Star Trek Away team right now on TheRinger.com, at Ringer on Twitter, and in the Spotify app where you find Trial by Content. You choose the winner, and we'll announce it next week. Speaking of next week, we're going to have an entirely new trial for you based on entirely new pop culture. Neil, what are we debating next week? Well, this one is a wild one. I am excited to see how it goes. Next week, we will be talking about the most surprising cameo in a movie, full stop. This can be a cameo that you did not see coming from any movie in the history of movies, just not television. So in honor of Doctor Strange and whatever's happening in Doctor Strange that I legitimately do not know about in this moment, we're going to talk about who is your most surprising cameo. So make sure you send your picks and a few sentences of support that we can read on this podcast to trialbycontent at gmail.com. You can also submit to that email address suggestions for future trial by content topics. We love it. If there's a great pop culture debate that you'd like us to settle, just send it on over. That email address, once again, is trialbycontent at gmail.com. Remember that a vote for me is a vote for Star Trek sex rules. Uh, This episode was not an ad for Paramount Plus, but was produced by Carlos Cherubogan. (laughs) 